Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, walk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat them up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be talking about the new and highly anticipated entry into the Oceans universe, Oceans 8. But before we get started with all of that, you, the audience, needs to know that for one night only, the gang is back together. So let's introduce ourselves. (laughs) And when we do, let's answer the question, if Ocean's 8 gets a sequel, who would you cast as the ninth member of the team and what would their specialty be? Uh, I'm Lucas Ryder, designer in Chicago, and I would choose, from my original list, I would bring Helen Mirren into this. I think we need um, somebody older than Kate Blanchett on here, um, just to bring some wisdom, some um, much-needed sage advice, and to really, um, I think, be the, uh, be the inside man on the next heist. I am Lawson Soward, an art director in Nashville, and... For all the same reasons Lucas just said, um, I would cast Meryl Streep. I think she would bring in even more audience uh, into the movie. Boom. Boom. My name is Brent Bailey. I also live in Chicago, Illinois. The character I would introduce into the series would be yet another uh, older woman, Jessica Walter. Uh, I wanted to play somebody like the Ooh. Saul Bloom character of the original trilogy. Um, not the original, original trilogy. <laughs> the recent trilogy. Uh, and I want to see her playing a little more heart and sincerity than we get from uh, yeah. Rest Development or Archer. <laughs> and I am Sandra Amstutz. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And I would cast, I'm, I'm kind of on a Sandra O oh kick right now with Killing Ooh. Eve. I would cast Sandra Oh as sort of a, a rival con artist to Sandra Bullock's character. Um, mm. Someone that she always like, like, oh, she always steals jobs from me. And then they end up having to work together on one big job. Ooh, like an Ocean's 12. Yeah, I'm thinking ahead. <laughs> Sand- Sandra, I really, really like that choice. But I don't know if you heard, we're all supposed to pick older white women. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I reject that concept. <laughs> Um, so for those of you have, that don't know or who haven't been listening to every single episode of the Feeling It pod, Ocean's 8 is a Get very, out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first, leave. Um, second, <laughs> uh, Ocean's 8 is a very important movie to us as a group because when we decided to start this podcast, the four of us kind of were all texting each other. We we're trying to figure out if it was something that would be a good idea to do. And in order to test out the idea of us recording a podcast about pop culture, we decided to get together and record a test episode that we didn't plan on releasing. We're like, let's just re- let's just record a review of a movie that we all have seen and love, Ocean's Eleven. And around this time, they had announced that there would be a female reboot of Ocean's Eleven, so starring Sandra Bullock. So we also took the time in that episode to 
do a dream recast of the original Ocean's Eleven movie with actresses. And um, we ended up a few weeks later on episode 22, once the cast for Ocean's 8 was announced, um, we released part of that episode. We talked about the Ocean's 8 cast, and then we released um, our dream cast. And that's episode, like I said, 22. So if you want to go listen to that, go back into our archives. And... Whenever news has come out, the trailer for this movie, we've all just really been excited about it. We love the Oceans movie so much that this has been just kind of a, a milestone for us. So because of that, all of us are here to talk about Oceans 8, and I'm very excited that all of us are back here on the pod together for an episode. Um, we're going to stick to our normal format, though, and talk about what we're feeling this week. So Lawson, what are you feeling this week? Yeah, I am feeling something I've been feeling for a long time, so it's great to be able to talk about it. Um, the podcast Dissect. Um, this has been around for several years, and um, basically the, the title Dissect comes from the fact that it dives into uh, really lyrically rich and production rich albums and dissects them song for song, going into not just what's the history of the artist, um, what's the context for the lyrics, but breaking down each of the lines, breaking down each of the things that are sampled, breaking down um, the production methods that are used. Sometimes it'll break down, go so far as to break down intervals between notes and how they uh, reflect at the beginning and end of songs. It is a masterful work um, that doesn't get, you know, it gets very detailed, but it's not too in the weeds like a per, um, the whole the host Cole Kushner um, goes through and kind of finds thematic threads that are weaved throughout each song that are weaved throughout entire albums and follows those for each song so you don't get too much unnecessary information it always sticks to that theme and enriches it and makes every single song on these albums just an infinitely richer text and he's done it about albums that I have loved and albums that I have re-listened to over and over. And so being able to hear somebody dissect it and say, you know, you know you love this, uh, here's 87 more reasons why you should love this, has been really <laughs> fun. The first season was Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp Butterfly. The second season, uh, before all this stuff happened, was uh, Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. And... One of the things that I love most about the story of Dissect is uh, Cole Kushner did this himself, funded it himself. At the end of every, uh, he had a full-time job, and at the end of every episode, he would say, these are the people that have helped me uh, fund this, and I want to say thank you. And the last person he would mention every week uh, was his mom. So he would say her name, and he'd say, that's my mom, and then keep going. Um, so he had family support, and he was pulling crazy hours with his uh, full-time job in addition to the podcast and he just kind of hustled wanted it to be something that existed in the world it was a passion project did it for two years on his own dime and this past year um, was hired by Spotify and it just listening to the podcast for two years and hearing that happen was such a heartstring moment I mean it really it was so so cool I was so happy for this person I'd never met um because being hired by Spotify means that he gets to do Dissect full-time and that all his podcasts are going to be released on Spotify. They're still on all your, you know, Apple podcast apps, everywhere you normally get podcasts. But 
If you go to Spotify, there are bonus episodes uh, in between the regular episodes. You get them a week early, all this kind of stuff. And it means he gets to quit his day job and do his dream job full time. And this season, he's doing a Frank Ocean season, which I was over the moon about. And so even though the season per se is about his latest album, Blonde, um, he's doing the due diligence as he always does and going back into the context of the artist's life, going back into the context of the artist's previous work. And so is doing kind of a mini season on his first uh, mixtape, Nostalgia Ultra, and about Channel Orange, and is moving through those at a pretty quick clip on his way to Blonde. And I have loved it. It has familiarized me with songs from Nostalgia Ultra that I'd never heard before, and uh, given me such a richer uh, understanding and appreciation for every song so far. So I can't recommend this podcast highly enough. It's one of the most informative and captivating uh, podcasts in my rotation. So that's what I'm feeling this week. Dissect. Uh, It sounds a lot like listening to Genius. Would you say that's accurate? Uh, I have not heard that, but based on that title, that sounds accurate. Oh, so for... I can't believe this is something that I know about. Uh, Genius is a website that sort of does the same things with music. You hover over lyrics and it pops up lots of comments about what lines or references to and other things. It's super handy. Oh, listening to genius, as yes. in it's not actually a podcast called Listening to Genius. You're oh, just talking about genius. Okay, I thought, yeah, I am, <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. familiar We've with that. We've heard about genius, for yes. sure. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were talking about that there was a podcast called Listening to Genius. I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> genius had a podcast yeah. where they read off their website. Yes, it is a lot like that. <laughs> that is a great pick, Lawson. Thank you so much for that. Lucas, what are you feeling this week? Um, this week, uh, Anthony Bourdain died. And I ended up watching his latest episode of Parts Unknown on CNN. And I this is a show that I haven't like kept up with or, you know, w- you know, waited for new seasons to come out or anything. But if it's on, I've loved watching it. Um, and it, it's currently all of it is on Netflix right now. And I'd encourage you to check it out before it leaves at the end of the month. Um, we'll see if that gets extended due to his um, unfortunate death. Um, but Parts Unknown, for those who don't know, is a it's kind of a travel culture um, food show where basically he goes into these cities or places and basically just talks to the locals, eats their food, um, learns about their art, their culture. It's a really, really neat um, way of doing it. And I think it's something that only only really he has done. And he's gone to a lot of places that a lot of, um, I feel like, travel channel, uh, food network, that kind of people places places that those people wouldn't normally go um, to experience their their culture um, in all of his episodes he's super open and just even if you know he's talking with someone who he doesn't agree with or doesn't really uh, get along with he's still honestly open and interested in um, in their viewpoints and in their culture that he's learning about um, the latest episode that I just watched is Berlin um, and he's just learning about you know the nightlife there about the music there um, and obviously about the food there and he's just um, he's so earnestly interested and it's so awesome to watch him um, really dissect a culture with that much um, kind of hope and it really I think is something that America, should should watch it just gets you interested in so many other places i'm right there with you this weekend i'd never watched that but <laughs> i initially uh 
searched for no reservations, and all I could find was the Catherine Zeta-Jones and Aaron Eckhart movie. Um, but he's not in that movie. No, he's but. not. It's unfortunate. <laughs> um, and from what I remember, he's not a big fan of that movie either. I mean, that would stand to reason. Um, but Finding Parts Unknown on Netflix was a real joy. Uh, I'd only known him through his public persona, and hearing about his passing was really sad, and reading a whole lot of think pieces about how like you were saying, so much of what you were saying, Lucas, like he walked into all of these situations with such humility and with an attitude that said there's a joy and welcome to be found anywhere that you look for it. Uh, the world is not a place to be feared. Um, it's just such a beautiful perspective. And we started off with season one on Netflix and made it all the way through season one in a day because it's just so watchable. He's so great. A lot of the places he goes are fascinating. And they show a side of things that you don't ordinarily see because food is culture, food is love, food is people. Like, and rather than just talking about the intricacies of the flavor profiles, which he does from time to time, he really delves into what the cultural situation, what the political situation in each place is, but connects that to the food. So it's kind of like showing you things that you're not familiar with while connecting it to things that are universal and look appealing and look interesting. And it just... It's. I was so moved by it, and I did not know it was leaving Netflix at the end of the month. So I'm going to be watching it a lot um, up until then. But I'm, I'm so thankful. There's such uh, a wealth of his work still around. I wish, of course, that he was still around. But I'm so thankful for all the gifts that um, he gave us as a culture while he was here. Yeah, it's been a really emotional week. Um, I, I never watched this show, but I was a fan of other works of his and just him as. A pop culture presence. Um, for those of you that don't know, Anthony Bourdain was actually also a really huge movie lover. Uh, I remember him saying that like the best thing anyone could do is go out to dinner with or go to a movie with some friends and then go out to dinner afterwards and talk about the movie you just saw. And mm. um, I loved his opinions on film and I and yeah, it's just it's been rough this week. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad that this body of work is left for all of us to experience him with. Um, Brent, what are you feeling this week? Uh, moving on to older white gentlemen with a much more complicated legacy. Um, <laughs> this week I am feeling Arrested Development season five. Um, obviously the release of the season was, uh, really spoiled by kind of, um, a long story of allegations against, uh, Jeffrey Tambor. And then more recently, uh, a really gross interview that came out in the New York Times, including like clips of the audio of that interview um, that were really troubling in a lot of ways. Um, but I came to Arrested Development season five as a longtime fan of this show. Um, I've probably watched uh, this or 30 Rock. It's hard to say which one I've watched the original seasons of more. Um, but seasons, yeah, the first three seasons of Arrested Development, it's been dozens of times for me. Um, my brothers and I, all of us, uh, this has kind of always been one of the main shows we reference when we're together. Um, and I'm a defender of season four. I think it was less entertaining than it was um, impressive, um, particularly sort of as an experiment when um, streaming series were new and we were figuring out what you could do with a streaming series that you couldn't do with broadcast television. Um but Arrested Development has always had jokes that um, move at very different paces. So you have lots of just gags and particularly sight and sound gags um, that are immediately rewarding. And then you have these running gags that 
persist throughout all of the seasons. And then you also have these incredibly intricate um, gags that require a lot of work and have a huge amount of payoff because when you recognize them and figure them out, you almost feel like you've solved the puzzle or solved the riddle to arrive at this punchline. Um, but all of those all of those different paces of gags have always been part of the show's DNA, except for season four, which consisted almost entirely of the work kind of gags. <laughs> and there was a lot of payoff if you were willing to stick with it and sort of read lists online that helped you connect the dots. Um, but I feel like the actual experience of watching that show just often felt like a lot of work. So what I love about season five of Arrested Development is it feels like it does feel like the show getting back into its its pace. It's got a lot of um, running gags. It's got a lot of jokes that require a lot of work. But it also has just a lot of immediate payoff in terms of, again, uh, visual gags, sound gags, all kinds of great lines and great writing. So watching season five did feel like getting back into pace. I will say the biggest struggle with season five for me was it really feels like the writers and creators are struggling to come up with a reason why we need more Arrested Development. Um, I'm one of those fans who will watch whatever seasons they put out, um, no matter how sort of aimless they feel. But quite a few of the characters in this season, um, if you ask me what their motivation was or what they're doing or why they're there, I would struggle to give you an answer. So I say that to kind of as a fault of season five. Uh, but again, more than anything else, it's just so, so funny. Um, everybody is still performing at the top of their game, particularly Jessica Walter. That's why she was on my mind this morning. Uh, but everybody's really bringing it. And I think it's a much more rewarding viewing experience overall. Brent, I was wondering, did you ever check out the re-edited version of season four? Yeah, I so I watched it right when it came out that, that full weekend. Um, and in some ways, I feel like it fixed some of the problems in terms of giving you the same pace and kind of storytelling as all the rest of Element. I still feel like it struggled, though, with lacking a lot of those just immediate jokes that kind of kept you laughing as you were watching. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel like it solved some of the the structural problems that made Arrested Development Season 4 feel so different. Yeah, for those that don't know, Arrested Development Season 4 was originally released with each episode being focused on a different character. Um, and then you kind of, at the end, they all, all the stories com combined. And then they released a re-edited version that was edited so that the stories were in chronological order. Um, is that correct, Brent? Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, and I think, yeah, and I think season four was pretty divisive. I think, like I said, it was, I didn't mind that it was almost more impressive than it was entertaining just because it was such a feat that they pulled off. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. It's nice to have a, with the remix of season four and then the new release of season five, it's it's nice to be watching a show that feels like Arrested Development. Okay, great, Brent. I'm I'm glad that you've stuck with it. Arrested Development is not a show that I've decided to like continue with. I, I watched a few episodes of season four and was kind of like, oh, this isn't what I'm in for. Um, mm -hmm. But there's so much from the original seasons that like I still hold very near and dear to my heart that um, I'm glad I get to exist in certain ways still. Um, Absolutely. So for me, this week, I'm feeling a comedy special from Cameron Esposito called Rape Jokes. Cameron Esposito is a comedian that I've loved for a while now. Um, when it was announced um, earlier this summer, or no, earlier this year, uh, that she was going to be coming through Nashville to do um, stand-up, I immediately bought tickets for myself and a friend. I was so excited to see her perform live. And... When I went to go see her, um, I kind of just expected a very normal night of stand-up. I expected her to be testing out new material. 
um, just as I would any comedian. What I didn't expect was to witness a stand-up set that was so revolutionary, that touched my heart, that um, really like made me passionate about, reignited like a lot of my passion for things that I'm already incredibly passionate about. Um, her stand-up special, it's about sexual assault, but it's also about more than that, which is good because sexual assault, while you can make jokes about it, it doesn't, I wouldn't say a whole special of jokes of just about sexual assault would be something I would naturally sign up for. Um, Cameron Esposito is a survivor of sexual assault. She talks about sexual assault in a very honest and authentic way. Um, she also talks about her experience, um, finding out that she was gay, her experience with sex ed growing up in the Catholic Church. She talks about our current state of the world. Um, she talks about PC culture and comedy and all of these things that you would think are like very serious topics and yet she finds a way to bring so much enthusiasm and humor to all of them. I laugh so much during this special and, um, and then I also was amazed at some of like the ideas she was bringing to the table and the the mindset that we should all be having in today's world where we're becoming more and more aware of what a problem sexual assault is in our country. Um, what's so exciting about this is that I got to watch this special live and was like, whoa, this changed the game. She's one of the most important stand-ups working right now. And then very soon after, in fact, yesterday, um, she got to announce that she's releasing her special online for free for people to stream. Um, you can also donate to watch it. Um, you can donate to Rain, which is the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization. Um, she is doing her special entirely for charity. Everyone who worked on her special, all the producers, the venue, all donated their time and resources so that this special can, one, be released in the, into the public for free so that people that don't have the means get to view it because it is so important that messages like this are broadcast into the minds of anyone who is willing to listen to them. Um, and then number two, that the money that can be raised from it is going to an amazing organization. If this special had been released on Netflix or HBO, I would still be saying all of these amazing things about it. Um, and I would and I would have no problem with Cameron Esposito making money off this special because this is it requires a lot of work to put together an hour of stand-up. Um, but the fact that she has done all this work and is now donating all of the proceeds from it, I think is just kind of an amazing, amazing bonus. I've watched the special. Um, in addition to seeing it live, I watched the film version, and it's just as sharp and as energetic as it was to see it live. I highly recommend everyone watching Rape Jokes. You can stream it on, on her website, CameronEsposito.com, for free, or you can donate to Rain. And um, not only do I think you should watch it yourself, but you should spread the word and tell everyone you know about this comedy special. Because... Um, Supporting survivors of sexual assault and helping prevent sexual assault is probably my strongest passion in life. And um, it's something that our nation has a sh huge, huge issue with. So steps like this are steps we all need to take in the right direction.
I started the stand-up special last night, and we didn't end up being able to finish it before The Bachelorette started, but <laughs> I'm sure it's, the rest of it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that y'all got it started. Yeah, we turned it on last night, and they were like, actually, I don't know if we're gonna if we're up for this, because it was already pretty late at night. So I can I'm very excited to watch it whenever we are fully awake and fully emotionally present. Well, <laughs> and I'm glad that we saved it for that because of all of those things yeah. that you're talking about. It seemed like it was that potent. Just be prepared for me to be peppering y'all in the group text every single day until you've watched it all. <laughs> great, great, great. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> well, great. So that was, like I said, Rape Jokes is the name of the comedy special from Cameron Esposito. Um I'm now, excited to have a text thread that just says rape jokes question mark for like three days in a row. <laughs> Are you in or out? You were to find out what it's all about. I want us to move on to one of our new segments that we're trying out. It's called In or Out, where we look through some of the movie trailers that were released since our last episode. And I ask you if you're in or out on that movie. Let's start real quick. Lego Movie 2. Are y'all in or out? In. I'm in. So in. I have never seen any of the Lego movies. So as of now, I am out. But Gasp. that could be changed. I will say all of the Lego movies are good. The first one is better than all the other ones. Did you see Ninjago? None yeah. of them. That's the only one I haven't seen. Yeah, I haven't seen yeah. any of them. It's good. Um. Okay. Did y'all see the trailer for Mortal Engines, Peter Jackson's new film? Yes. Heck yes. No. I, I have a spotty relationship with Peter Jackson since the Hobbit movies, so I have fingers crossed. So I'm halfway in. So you're halfway in. I okay. am halfway in. Brent, what about you? I'm so in. This is Howl's Moving Castle meets Mad Max Fury Road meets Peter Jackson, yeah. so count me in. For <laughs> anyone who hasn't seen the trailer, um, here's what I'm reading. It's the world as we once knew is gone, and the civilization has become mobile. Giant traction cities roam the wasteland, preying on each other for parts and supplies, manned like giant ships in a sea of sand. And so from the trailer that I watched, there's like a big moving ship blob. They're like, that's London. London's coming. (laughs) I have not seen the trailer, but that sounds like I'm in. It looks completely bonkers and great. It looks... (laughs) crazy i'm out <laughs> right now because i don't recognize a single person in this movie and what um you don't recognize it london's has all person? of london in it <laughs> <laughs> london's a character in london yeah. ever yeah, heard yeah, of I it I, I no. to be honest i don't recognize london in this movie <laughs> um, and it just looks insane um okay spider-man into the spider-verse are we in or out 100 percent in all the way. Yeah, I'll see it. All in. Head first. I'm 100% in as well. I normally don't watch these kind of like animated special movies that, you know, are, they just happen to get released in theaters. Um, but this one, the trailer is so charming. It start, you know, it's focusing on Miles Morales, but it also has Peter Parker in it with voice by Jake Johnson, which is a delight. And the trailer looks so funny and lovely. So this one has warmed me up to it. Um, what about A Star is Born? Bradley Cooper's directorial debut starring him and Lady Gaga. I feel like I'm in, but if I don't see it in theaters, it will be okay. Like, I want to see it, but not like more than anything I've ever in. Yeah. 
Yeah. This movie, this movie, I think, was originally supposed to be Beyonce and Clint Eastwood. Um, what? Got turned into. Well, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You say that, yes, but that's like studio trying to put things together. Oh, oh for so sure. So not like it's not for like sure. Bradley Cooper originally was gonna. No, 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 no. No, but I like am much more interested in that movie than in. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Um, so I'm 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 in. Like I'll definitely watch it, but I'm not like actually interested in this movie at all. Yeah, I'm gonna avoid seeing this movie as long as I can until they release the Oscar nominations, and then it's gonna get twelve nominations, and I'm gonna have to see it out of this like benign yeah. sense of loyalty. Yeah. Brent, thank you for putting words to what I was trying to say perfectly. <laughs> I'm. No one wants this, but we'll watch it. I'm very in on this movie. I think the trailer is are. so good. Um, I, yeah, the trailer is good. I would not have preferred this to be a Clint Eastwood Beyonce movie. Um, I think it's so much more interest. I, I think Beyonce is amazing, but I think this story is so much more interesting with someone like Lady Gaga. Um, and I think, and I don't particularly, I'm not particularly fond of Clint Eastwood. So that's um, that's why it's good. This, that's why it's more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I. I'm excited to see what a directorial debut looks like from Bradley Cooper. Um, and like I said, this trailer, I think, is a really, really fabulous trailer. Um, it really makes you, like, I, I just want to dive into this world right away. So I'm excited for A Star is Born. I'm excited for, hopefully, it to win, like, a Best Original Song and Lady Gaga to, like, take back her win that she lost, you know, a couple of years ago. Okay, did y'all see the trailer for Serenity, the new Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey movie coming out? Nope. Yes, this this is from nope. the writer-director of Locke, um, the basically one-location movie with uh, Tom Hardy in a car. Basically. Oh, they had a car movie. That was great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the one car movie that's ever been made. Yeah. No, the, no he, the, that was an, an incredible movie. He's a great director. I'm really excited to see this. I am so out on Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> but Anne Hathaway brings it all back. That's such an interesting position to take, Lucas. I know, um, I know. I'm just tired of his thing now. He's like, passed he his, his, Maca- he did his Matthew McConaughey day. He, he passed his, oh, dang it, <laughs> uh, yeah, we, yeah, we're, we're outside the McConaughey area, era, era, and he seems to be playing the same person again and again now. Hmm, I don't agree, but... I am in on this. I think the trailer is exciting. I think I'm really intrigued because there was a lot of gossip when the two of them made Interstellar together that they like did not get along, and more specifically that Matthew McConaughey found Anne Hathaway very annoying. Um, and so I'm really interested that. in the fact that they're doing a movie again together, especially one that makes them you know seem like like exes and like possibly re- reuniting. Um, it looks. Like really, really, like a really interesting thriller. Not it doesn't look standard, which I appreciate. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm in. What about uh, How to Train Your Dragon Three? In I feel like I'm in by default because I'm just in on this series. Right, but right. I yeah, this <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's whatever. It's How to Train Your Dragon. I'm very hesitantly in. I love the original film. I was I do not love the second film. Yeah. I really liked both movies. Of course, I think the original film is a masterpiece. Um, the second film, I think, is very good. This movie, like, I, I think you're right, Lucas. I'm in kind of by default. Um, but I'm excited to see, like, hot hiccup. I think that's going to be kind of fun. <laughs> um, 
so bearded hiccup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm in. I, I think these movies would have to like do something pretty like disgraceful for me to be out on them. Um, what have y'all seen the trailer for the girl in the spider's web? Kind of yes. Yes. entry into the new in the girl with the dragon tattoo universe. Uh. Yeah, I'm out. I don't know. Like, I'm interested, but I'm not. The, when I saw the first one, I was like, wow, that was really well made, and I'm really not glad I saw it. And by the so, first one, do you mean the David Fincher one? Yes, the first American release one. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought the first one was extremely well made, but I wasn't glad that I saw it. So I'm out on this until somebody tells me they saw it and it was actually good and worth seeing. I'm in it for Claire Foy. Um, yeah. I think Claire Foy looks it. really good in this. Um, Brent, what about yeah, you? Yeah, I'm so, I'm so out. I saw the trailer and immediately just felt kind of gross and sad, and I just like do not need an, a movie with this film's energy this year. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. I understand that a lot. Um, I'm in on this movie. I loved the David Fincher film. I haven't seen the Swedish films, but I've heard that they're very good. Um, I think I mentioned to y'all kind of how I'm starting to view this universe is – because there have now been three different actresses playing the Elizabeth Sal- is it Salander character? Yeah, yes. that works. Um, and I'm starting to view this as sort of like a James Bond role in that you kind of always have like different actors playing the role. Um, and it's the same character, but the situations might be a little bit different. The casts are different. Um, there's not, you know, continuity per se throughout all the movies. Um, but you still, you understand who the character is. And, um, and I'm, I really liked this trailer a lot. I think Claire Foy looks really cool in it. Um, I'm, I'm in on it. Let's see. What about, um, are y'all familiar with Bad Times at the El Royale? Nope. Yes. No, what is it? Written and directed by Drew Goddard. This is the movie, this is his follow-up to... The Cabin in the um, Woods. Yes, the cabin in the woods. Oh, so this is basically seven people. Seven, seven people meet in a hotel and they just talk and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm sure they'll do more than talk and stuff. But you mean identity? Yeah, but this has like Chris Hemsworth, Nick Offerman, John Hamm, uh, Jeff Bridges, uh, Dakota Johnson. Um, it's I'm so pumped for this movie. That the trailer great. is amazing. I love Drew Goddard. So 100 percent in. Yeah, the trailer is wacky. I really recommend people checking it out. But I'm into it because of it. It almost looks like a horror movie, but not quite. And so for that reason, I'm in. This has also become Shark Tank. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So um, last I have on my list is a movie I actually haven't seen the trailer for yet, but I already know I'm in. Um, How are y'all feeling about First Man? The new movie yes. from, um, what's his name? Damien Chazelle. Thank you, yes. Let's follow up to La La Land. Ignorant. Starring Ryan Gosling about Neil Armstrong. So, oh. first, I want to say this was written by Josh Singer, who wrote The Post, Spotlight, um, and a bunch of episodes of The West Wing. And I am super curious to see what kind of his script looks like for this. But I am very interested in Ryan Gosling playing Neil Armstrong. Um, and another Claire Foy movie. Yeah. <laughs> Playing his wife. I think it's great that they're finally going to show that Neil Armstrong was an actor on a soundstage. And uh, I'm excited to see the real story finally the come on the big screen. Yeah. It's about time. It's time. Brent, about can time. you enter out on this? <laughs> yeah, I'll see this. Uh, as long as it's not going to threaten the Oscar chances of a much more deserving film. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes, man. I'm in some kind of mood today. <laughs> 
Brent with the hot takes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have for in or out. Um, is there anything I missed that y'all want to cover? No, let's do okay. this. Okay, great. Let's talk about Ocean's 8. important to all of us so i obviously know normally i ask what were you feeling going into this movie you know what were your thoughts and expectations but i kind of know we were all hyped right that's kind of across the board hyped for this movie um so brent i'm gonna start with you leaving oceans eight how did you feel about the movie um I felt i i had a great time with the movie um almost all of our immediate reactions were it was the kind of movie that I think the folks I saw it with, we were all very positive and very enthusiastic, but almost immediately our conversation turned to, oh, but I wish it would have done this, or I wish it would have had a little more of this. So I feel like overall it was, I had a great time with it. Um, I would watch it again. I think I could probably watch this many more times because it goes down so easy. Um, there were a few things that disappointed me about it, but not even in terms of thinking that it necessarily hurt the film. I think there were just a few things that kept it from kind of being the next great heist movie. Uh, but overall, I had a really good time um, hanging out with these women and seeing all of the amazing dresses and costumes they wore. Uh, and I would, yeah, I would totally see it again. Lucas, what about you? Yeah, I'm right about there. Um, yeah, me, <laughs> with Brent walking home talking about this, he was talking to me. Um, <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, the people he saw it with, meaning me and my, my wife. Um, <laughs> um, no, yeah, I felt the exact same way. Like, we came out of it being like, that was so much fun. It was so much fun just being with these people for that amount of time. Um, there are some... <sighs> some small things that it's like, oh man, if you did this, this would like, if you just tweaked these little things, this could elevate it to like a really great, great movie. Um, but I put this on, like, I kind of feel the same way about it as I do with Ocean's 13. Like, I feel like Ocean's 13 was just like a return to, all right, this is what an Ocean 11 movie looks like. Let's just try and make another one of those. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie did too, which is not a bad thing. I really like that. Yeah. But it didn't do anything necessarily to elevate itself. Lawson? Yeah. You're up. Uh, yeah. Um, I think our feelings are all pretty similar on this. To use a heavy-handed metaphor, it felt kind of like an old-fashioned where they put in a, one extra sugar cube and kept out a little bit of bourbon. Like, there was just this... Mm-hmm. Um, Very heavy-handed. Yeah, thank you. So there was this <laughs> uh, this kind of Soderbergh edge to it, that this kind of, like, quick cut. I, as a director, I just I have a very... I love the way that Soderbergh puts things together. I felt like the cast was incredible in this. The script was well-written. It was fun. It was, like you said, it went down easy. That's kind of where the heavy-handed sugar thing comes in. But um, it was a very well-put-together movie, and all the ingredients were things that I loved, and I walked out um, being really satisfied by all of the parts, but kind of the sum of the parts and the directorial edge in that. felt like a little bit was missing and it was kind of that was the only thing I was a little bit let down by was everything they put into this movie was exactly perfect and I just wanted it to be to feel a little bit sharper um at the end but I mean everyone looked amazing Rihanna was so well used Kate Blanchett uh looked like an alien in I mean every single outfit that she wore all of the clothes in this were incredible I loved that um 
for a crew of all women they chose to uh, steal from uh, the Met Gala and the way that they put all that together was so incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a great movie. I had some small quibbles throughout, um, but it delivered everything I wanted from an Ocean's movie, and I think it uh, is something that I'll see again and again, even if it's just, you know, replaying on TBS. It's the kind of movie that is infinitely rewatchable and a ton of fun. Yeah, so this this movie reminded me of, um, I was reading a review of an episode of Mad Men, and it was kind of like one of a, a weaker episode of Mad Men, and the TV critic kind of started their review by saying, episodes of Mad Men are kind of like orgasms. Even a bad one, you're still kind of excited about having. Um, And (laughs) I really feel that way about this movie. That, like, heist films for me, yeah, are like, even the bad heist movies, I'm still excited about and I have fun about, and I have fun with them. Um, Now, not to say that this is a bad movie, but regardless of you know, how good or not it is, I'm probably going to love it in, in, in some form or fashion. Um, I think this movie is like good summer fun. If you're going to, if you're going to see a box, a big box office summer movie, um, I think you're very, you're going to be, get a great amount of value for your dollar by seeing this movie um, versus plenty of other kind of trash movies that get released during the summer. I think, The problem with this movie is that it's obviously being directly compared to Ocean's Eleven. I mean, it it can't avoid the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, it's it's a perfect. Ocean's Eleven is a perfect film. It's, (laughs) I would say, the greatest heist movie of all time. One of the greatest films ever made. I think it's a perfect movie. And so to be compared to that is unfair to any movie. And yet you can't avoid it because of what this movie is. So. Constantly when I'm watching this movie and after I watch this movie, I'm comparing it to all the ways Ocean's Eleven is better than this movie, which, yeah, like I said, is unfair and yet unavoidable. So I think this movie is fun because of who is cast in it. I think the casting is like the real hurdle and they achieved that perfectly. And so they, I feel like the rest of it, they kind of like, oh, well, we got the casting over with. Let's just now, like, have fun and make the movie versus putting a lot of thought and effort into it. It feels very sanitized. I think a lot of the conflict that I would want from a heist movie has been stripped from this. A lot of the cleverness that I want from a heist movie has been stripped um, from this. And yet, I still had a fun time. So... I think it's fine. I think it's a fine summer fun movie. Um, Not bad, but not great, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it kind of reminds me of your comment, uh, Lucas, from the Infinity War conversation y'all had, where these are films only being compared to each other. Um, And it kind of shows how strong that Oceans brand is, that whenever you walk out, you're only thinking of the other Oceans movies. You're not really thinking about other heist movies. It's kind of the gold standard for Mm -hmm. that. Um, Which I think is a detriment here. I was just about to say that, yeah. Like, I think they they called back way too much to being like, oh, did you know Danny Ocean's my brother? Because Danny Ocean's my brother, and Danny Ocean's my brother, and here's a picture of George Clooney because Danny Ocean is my brother. And every time (laughs) they did that, I wanted to be like, stop, you have an amazing cast like you don't 
I feel like the only reason that Danny Ocean is Sandra Bullock's brother is because then they can call it Ocean's Eight. Um, her mm-hmm. last name also has to be Ocean, um, and they get the name recognition for the franchise that way. But I felt like as a heist film, it was already really strong. It could have been even stronger if they weren't trying to do those callbacks. Yeah, I don't know. The I agree. Callbacks don't bother me. Um, when I think, of- I think there are certain callbacks that we sh- we can talk about in spoilers and stuff like that. Yeah, um, that are really good. But just like the 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 amount that that Danny Ocean is mentioned in this movie is unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, I I have some issues with that. And I'll explain that in spoilers as well. But just the fact of there being a lot of callbacks doesn't bother me that much. I think if this had been an amazing movie, heist film, we wouldn't be have any issues with those callbacks. I think we would just have had a great time. Uh, I think we notice them because the movie itself is a little lackluster. Um, sure. Were there any things that like we specifically really loved? Anyone that we want to shout out or aspect of the film that we really want to shout out? Yeah, I do think this is a movie that really lives or dies by its cast, as we've all kind of mentioned. Um, and I think for the most part, we're not looking for great performances from these actresses. We just want them to be on screen and be as cool as we know they are. Um, playing cool is often like it seems like it comes easily. It tends to you don't tend to think of those as really great performances. Um, but they all play cool so well. And I think the one actress who really is um, doing something, who is really acting and doing really hard work, obviously, is Anne Hathaway. A lot of people have praised her performance in this film. And in my mind, this really is kind of peak Anne Hathaway. Um, she is she's playing a lot of different things. She's playing a character who on the surface is fairly shallow, but I think is incredibly complex. And I think it takes someone with kind of the range that Anne Hathaway brings, but also sort of the reputation and the intensity um, to really pull that Daphne Kluger character off. So I think everybody's doing a great job at what the film asks of them, and I think it just asks a lot more of Anne Hathaway, and she completely delivers. She's Anne all the way instead of Anne Hathaway in this movie. <laughs> now I, I'm going to cut that part out. That's that's fair. I felt like Anne Hathaway's character at these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like Anne Hathaway's character in this movie is her character in this movie is how I imagine Taylor Swift is in real life. Like incredibly like extra. Go a little too much, but also incredibly intelligent and manipulative, and able to make things work towards her own ends at every turn. Why you got to bring Taylor Swift into this? I didn't. She brought it into her performance. It wasn't me. Oh. <laughs> I, I and her character I loved as well. I thought she was she like stole almost every scene she was in. She did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. Anne Hathaway, in addition to being incredibly talented and charming, and I can't take my eyes off her. She also seems to be just having fun being in this mm-hmm. movie, um, which I also think is a real big part of these kind of movies is that like you, e- you either have to be cool as ice, um, like a Brad Pitt character or Kate Blanchett character, or you have to just be like having fun, like Don Cheadle or like Scott Kahn, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, so seeing her just like going for it and having fun, um, really just like is what I think people are makes people so drawn to her in this film. Um, I really loved her in it. I really like Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett and their chemistry with each other. Um, I think in the future, if this movie gets any sequels, I think their dialogue could be a little bit better, but I think the two of them 
as actresses playing off one another was really fun. Um, I'm a huge Sandra Bullock fan, and so seeing her as a ringleader is really, really great. Um, yeah, I just, I really hope that if there's more movies that come out, they really play up to some more of the comedy chops that all these actresses have. Because watching these actresses do press, you and seeing them in previous works, of course, you can see just like, they're so funny. And um, someone having someone like Mindy Kaling or Aquafina, who has just like extraordinary comedic talents, um, I just want to see that like unleashed in, in future movies, hopefully. Um, I also just want to say that, of course, one thing I loved about this movie is that it's so glamorous. Like, that's one thing that they got really, really right is the glamour. Yeah. And the clothes are, of course, amazing. But in addition to just the clothes, I think... The setting, the the even like the apartment that Kate Blanchett somehow owns, and that there is all their like meeting <laughs> yeah. space, um, is kind of glamorous in a grunge way. Um, and so I had a real fun time being transported into this world. Yeah, I was gonna give a shout out to the costumes as well, um, clothing and accessories and things factor very heavily into this movie in terms of the plot. They're integral to the heist. I mean, they are trying to steal a necklace. Um, at least, you know, you've got, um, Helena Bonham Carter's character is a designer and a lot of the dynamic, one of the central relationships is, is her kind of wooing Anne Hathaway trying to design a dress for her. So the movie is very explicitly about clothing in addition to many other things. And yeah, sometimes it feels like a little, um, it feels sort of uninteresting to talk about how effective the costumes are in a movie because it just feels like that's one of the things that all movies have to get right. But the dresses and the outfits and the pantsuits and the jumpers and everything else really kind of become their own characters. And I don't want to say too much. Maybe I'll say more in the spoilers. But one of my favorite reveals sort of near the end of the movie involves dresses and glamour um, in a way that was really striking and very yes. unlike what we've seen in other Ocean's films. Yeah. Absolutely. We're all ready for more of these movies. They need to continue to make them. Well, I walked out of this movie kind of wondering, I wonder, why did they pick eight as, if they wanted to make a sequel, why did they go with eight? And it made me realize you could do a, you could do a trilogy, eight, nine, and ten, without ever overlapping the other trilogies. So do you think that's what they're maybe aiming at? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. And I think when you have a cast like this, it's a shame to not try to make a sequel. And it seems like the box office is going to, numbers are going to support a sequel being made. Um, and I and, just want to. And me winning the summer movie wager. So. <laughs> oh, I Sorry, don't know about ahead. that. I don't think so. <laughs> um, I don't think they're going to be that good. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to say that even though I have like a lot of gripes about this movie, I would rewatch it. Um, and it's a movie that like, yeah, I expect to rewatch. If there's a sequel, I'm buying a ticket. I'm on board with this franchise because this wasn't a bad movie. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Even if they all came back and decided to rob the Met Gala again next year, I would watch that movie. <laughs> I would be yeah. disappointed if that was the plot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There are some movies where I walk out of the theater and think, wow, I'm so glad that I have movie pass. And this was not one of those. I would have felt like I got everything I paid for, even if I had paid a full price matinee. Uh, totally. All right, let's get into spoilers. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Are you paying attention? It's your last chance to walk away. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Now, crack and gas. Spoilers! Remember, 
You wanted this. So for this spoiler section, um, I think we should maybe start with some of our like criticisms of the film and the plot um, and then end with some of our favorite scenes. Uh, or sequences. How does that sound? I like that. Sure. Okay. Um, Lucas, why don't you get us started? Oh, great. Um, (laughs) I think one of the things that that you brought up and that I think everybody is kind of feeling is that there, there wasn't a lot of tension in this movie. Um, and by tension, I mean, there weren't, there weren't a lot of obstacles that they had to overcome once the heist got started. There was never a, there was never a point where you're like, "Mm, they might not make this the whole time. You're like, yeah, this is going according to plan. Um, that they had a few hiccups that I really liked before the heist, um, such as the, the magnet on the necklace, the reception on the glasses, yeah, the reception on the glasses, like those, those types of things you expect. But then once the heist gets started, you also want some things that'll make you think that, oh, they could not get away. Yeah, with this. you want some um, moments where it's hanging in the balance. Exactly, and you didn't have that really at all. Um, and the, the f- I, I, truly there I, was one, there was one moment, and it was right. two servers <laughs> talking to each other in a hallway. It was like the, and then Sarah Paulson oh, yeah. walks in and says, <laughs> "Hey, stop talking." It was the yeah, lowest right. stakes <laughs> obstacle you could have ever possibly had in a heist. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the fact that, like, so you feel like it all went well, and then there's some confusion about what the actual heist was. So at the end, it turns out what they're really after is all these other diamonds and jewels. Um, and the fact that we didn't have any tension for the actual or for what we thought they were going after um, made that fall a little flatter. I feel like if they had, if it had turned out like they lost the necklace or something like that, and it like they didn't get away with it, that kind of a thing, yeah. I feel like that really would have helped us with that reveal of, oh my gosh, we weren't even going after that thing the whole time anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I'll, I was glad that that happened. It, it fell a little flat, but for a while there, because everything was going so according to plan, I was like, is there not going to be like an Ocean's style twist at the end of this. Like every one of these heist <laughs> movies always have, well, you know, we did this, but the reveal is we actually did this too. Um, and so whenever they did that, I was like, good, that's what I was looking for. Um, but it felt a little bit more hollow. Um, but I did, I love that they brought, uh, uh, what was the gymnast name? Yen. Back? Yen, yeah. yes. So, Super glad they brought Yen back, and the uh, I liked the tie-in of the buying the toy submarine halfway through the film, and then seeing it used at the end of the film. Those are the kinds of like breadcrumbs yes. that I expected more yeah. of, but I was always satisfied with like the one or two that there were. My problem with them having Yen in this movie is that like the movie's called Ocean's Eight, and yet Yen was a major part of that heist, like probably the right. most important yeah. part of that heist. And yeah. he's not considered a member of the team. Like he like, like why is Yen considered hired <laughs> help and the rest of them are official members of the gang? You know what I mean? Like he right. got all of the most important jewels. Like <laughs> yep. Also, he's yeah. a guy and they were like, "No, no guys." Yeah. And the rationale for that was kind of strange. It was like Women are Girls don't go, get noticed. And it was like, it's the Met Gala. Guys in tuxedos don't get noticed. I appreciate that right now because it's a commentary on, like, women go through life and they're not there's not high expectations of them. And so, like, they can slip in this sense. She's like, we can slip in unnoticed into places. 
Um, I 100% agree with that, except at the Met Gala. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I I'm think saying, it's an accurate commentary. But she's commentary. not referring to the star. You know, she's referring to someone like Sarah Paulson's character, who is just like a busy, you know, like just a worker. Or someone like Mindy Kaling's character, who is like working in the kitchen. All these like other roles that women get to play. Not just, you know, not just Anne Hathaway's character. That makes more sense. But at the end, that reveal that Brent was talking about when they all walk out in their gowns. The most fabulous dresses of all time. God, yeah, yeah, just incredible. And what a great and striking scene. But I was like, how, like, people are going to, it's the most exclusive invite anywhere. Like, people are going to notice, like, you didn't walk up on the red carpet. Anyway. That know. felt a little bit suspension of disbelief to me. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't agree. But um. I'm here for it, a hundred percent. Agree. You know, thinking agree. about uh, thinking about the kind of the lack of tension we've been describing. Somebody on Twitter said, um, "Think of this less as a heist movie and more of kind of a hangout movie." And they compared right. it to Everybody Wants Some from a couple years ago, which I thought was a really apt comparison because when I think about that film, I can remember almost none of the plot, but I remember like the costumes and I remember the aesthetic. And sort of just the general feel of how it was to hang out with the characters. So I kind of feel like it's, I think that I can think of this movie in the same way, which is um, it's less concerned with kind of twists and reveals than it is with just, oh, these people are so cool and you get to spend time with them. I think where that becomes a problem, especially going into an Oceans movie, is really for the last third of this movie, after the heist is completed, and then you have the introduction of James Corden's character and this whole plot about, okay, well, now there's an insurance claims adjuster. You kind of don't know what the stakes are at that point. You don't know if you can relax or not, and not in like an interesting way, not in like (laughs) you're on the edge of your seat kind of way, but just sort of in a like, okay, like in terms of the climax of this film, where are we? And I think that's a flaw about it. But yeah, I do think that what that means is that you know, the the big twists and reveals in the original, in the male-driven Oceans films, all related to, like, did they do this or not? And, like, did this obstacle stop them? Um, whereas in this film, a lot of the reveals were just like, oh, if you thought these ladies were cool, let me show you they're even cooler. And then, <laughs> oh, no, actually, it turns out they're even cooler. So even the dresses, when they're all kind of walking down and just looking amazing, it's like, it's not really a huge twist other than, oh, cool, that was the strategy they used to exit. But it was just kind of like, oh, they can also be incredibly glamorous and they can fit right <laughs> in an environment like this. And so I feel like there were sort of different reveals, but the reveals were less of, look what they pulled off and more of just like, yep, they're even cooler than you thought. Here's the problem I have, Brent, with that, the argument that this is more of a hangout film. I love Everybody Wants Some. It's one of my favorite movies. I, if this movie had been more like that and more of a hangout film, I would have been delighted. But the problem is that like, we don't actually get a lot of scenes of them just like hanging out and being friends with each other. We don't get a lot of camaraderie. We get we don't get a lot of like fun conversations. Um, the the closest they I feel like attempted at that was a truly horrifying product placement insert with the Tinder scene. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah. Oh man, I got so angry at that scene. Because I don't mind product placement, but when it's super obvious like that, that drives me crazy. It just Um, makes me want to go eat at Subway. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So if we had had actual scenes of them cracking jokes or bickering, you know, one Mm -hmm. thing that I said that this movie felt sanitized is I think part of their idea was like, we don't want to show these characters fighting with each other because we don't want to perpetrate the idea that like women have cat fights and can't get along. Um, but yet 
part of a good story is that there's conflict between the characters. And so like, right. and people are human. They have conflict with each other and women turn out to be human as well. So it would make sense that some of the characters <laughs> have little squabbles with each other. Um, the closest we get to that is when Kate Blanchett gets mad at Sandra Bullock for, you know, doing a job within a job, but that is apparently resolved right away like Kate Blanchett kind of just shrugs her shoulders and just yeah lets literally it immediately she's like all right yeah cool. so <laughs> if we had had some sort of fun bickering or fun jokes or bonding um I would have been so in love with this movie I I really liked the idea that Anne Hathaway joins the team because she just wants female friendship but then we don't actually get to just see her be friends with any of them and so then that makes that kind of fall a little false. Yeah, you know, the other day I was eating a $5 foot long at Subway, <laughs> and I was thinking about this movie and how, um, just like you're saying, Sandra, I think, yeah, as much as it might want to be a hangout film, it it hits the beats of the previous Oceans films too much to where there's just too much, like the pacing is too fast. It is too driven towards this heist to really be, to have like the kind of relaxed low stakes that, you would need if it, if the whole point of the movie were just to right. sort of enjoy like, how cool these women are. The other, and again, this is wrong to compare them to the the original Oceans, but like those movies, in addition to the heist, had scenes where George Clooney and Brad Pitt are kind of like razzing on Matt Damon or mentoring Matt Damon or, you know, other right. characters are like, you know, asking questions to each other and kind of giving each other shit. And that's why mm -hmm. those movies feel so lovely because of that camaraderie that we feel. And this movie just didn't take the time to do that. The other thing that my, another one of my squabbles and it ties into this tension problem that we've been talking about is uh, the main villain, like the, the ex the, the, the villain slash love interest. Right. Yeah. Um, the was budget budget Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Was just like a piece of cardboard. I mean, like, I saw, I wanted him to get off screen every time he was on screen, and I was like, maybe that's what they were going for and making him undesirable. But a character like an Andy Garcia, like Terry Benedict from the first mm -hmm. films, was did such was so much uh, more fully written. Um, in a way to where you wanted to see that person lose, you knew what the stakes were, and you understood kind of why their uppance should come. And I think it may have been the writing, it may have been that actor's effect, but throughout it, I was just like, I get it, he's a drip, but I don't want to like see him suffer. I don't know. It just felt like I don't that that villain didn't have again the amount of tension that I wanted and I think that ties into what you're talking about Sandra just yeah. like the lack of camaraderie and character development that um, came in even though all of these actresses and actors had tons that they brought to the roles that kind of made those a little bit more forgiving because you were like oh cool that's Rihanna and but with somebody who I don't know this actor from Adam coming in and not having that writing it you really saw it come through a lot more that that lack what if uh, Richard Armitage had been in this film and he was playing the same character, but he was just still Thor and Oakenshield? Would that have been an improvement? <laughs> I would have okay, anyway. definitely been a little bit more compelling. Um, so Dana Schwartz is a uh, movie critic, culture writer. Um, she tweeted, Truthfully, my biggest problem with the movie was having such a forgettable, no-name actor play the would-be villain love interest. I know that they were what? trying to get the women to shine, but it would have been so much more fun if, say, Chris Pine had been a smarmy villain. 
I do not believe that Richard Armitage could seduce or outsmart Sandra Bullock and or Anne Hathaway. Get me a Chris in there. Now, then after she tweeted that, someone did the unforgivable thing of tagging Richard Armitage on Twitter to make him aware of those tweets, which is, man, truly an awful, rude thing to do. And so Richard Armitage responded and he said in a very classy way, I should say. Um, he said, Dana, they did have an A-lister, but he f- unfortunately had to pull out at the very last minute. But you do have a point. And then like a little emoji. So it's very interesting to me that they, according to him, had an A-lister in that role um, and had to kind of replace it last minute. It was Matt Damon as long as. <laughs> <laughs> Wearing um, the nose. Yeah. And so <laughs> Wearing the I nose. Just think, I don't think. Armitage is a bad actor, but I think star power... I don't think he's a no-name actor either. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's a no-name actor, but I do think that, like, star power is a big draw for these movies. I mean, that's, true. Like, that's sure. what we come to these movies for, and when you're comparing having, like, Julia Roberts and Andy Garcia as your villain and your love interest, to bring in someone that does not have sort of an, a somewhat equal star power to Sandra Bullock... I think is just it really makes it really is a mistake and it and you feel it when you're watching it. I think I think we'll, we'll know that Richard Armitage has made it when he starts doing some eat fresh subway commercials. <laughs> I really feel like that's that's the making of a yeah. true a true A-list star. Yeah. No, I feel like maybe if We've nothing else it is interesting to hear that they had originally um, cast a more prominent actor cuz it does it does kind of feel like this is one way that the movie is like, we just don't want anybody to walk away talking. We don't want anybody to walk away from this movie talking about a male performance. Like, that is just not what we want anybody to pay attention to or give attention to. Which is a problem because James Corden gets some of the funniest moments in this movie. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. Also, the idea that you can't have a super competent actress go head to head against a super competent actor and like come out on top is ridiculous yeah like, they need to trust these actresses more but i kind of feel like if they had cast like let's say somehow i mean george clooney's the only ian mckellen yeah let's, well Chris let's say that like i do feel like we would i feel like it's possible if they've cast somebody like chris pine we'd be coming out of it like why do we need a prominent man like chris pine to anchor this film when we've got such an amazing cast so i, I feel know. like it's kind of like i feel like it's one of those pine movies pine where there's no way to win <laughs> I hear, yeah, I hear what you're saying, though, Brent, for sure. No. Like, it, we can never know. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I have one more little quibble yeah. that I just want to bring up. Um, in the Oceans movies, one of the fun part is you get to see all these people posing as, like, other people. So you get Brad Pitt pretending to be a doctor or um, the uh, – no, I forget their names. Anyway, yeah. you get people pretending to be other people in these movies. Um, in this one, Sarah Paulson actually gets a job at Vogue to help run the Met Gala – and she actually has to do that job for like six weeks while she's planning a con. Mm-hmm. And then she gets Kate Blanchett a job running the kitchen. Like actually – like you see shots of her actually running the kitchen while trying to do literally the whole heist. That sounds insane. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like – I want them to pose as doing these things, not actually have to do that whole job. Women can balance work and crime family. <laughs> these are, this is a movie about eight women trying to have it all. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I want to just... I think Sarah Paulson was a little wasted in this movie. Um, mm. I think she's just such a special talent, and 
She is, she plays a lot of intense roles on, like, American Horror Story or, like, OJ, but she's also, like, really funny. Like, people don't, I think, Mm -hmm. understand how funny Sarah Paulson is, and I just want to give her a little bit more room to play and not just play something so stuffy, you know? Or if she's going to be stuffy, be really funny about it. Right. I think there is probably a very potent, uh, like, a very funny aspect to her performance that if you are a suburban parent in a position that you don't want to be in, particularly if you're a suburban mom and you saw Sarah Paulson's performance, it might be super cathartic to watch that play out. Yeah. For me, it felt a little, I know it wasn't for me necessarily, but it felt a little flat and a little bit like painting with broad strokes. I was just like, uh, why, why is it like, the mom having to like tell the kid that we're doing something else. Like none of the guy characters ever had that kind of a thing come through. Whereas I feel like any of the other characters um, could have, you know, their situations that they came from to be a part of the crime family could have been um, any gender. That one felt particularly gendered in a way that kind of didn't sit great with me. But as I said, I'm sure that could be great for someone who wasn't me watching it. Yeah. I think she's the only oceans character with kids. Yeah. Yeah. Have you all seen, have you all watched uh, Good Girls? No. No. If you want a show about women balancing crime and children, Good Girls <laughs> is outstanding. Oh, good. Uh. Um, you know, as we're talking about this movie and we're talking about the possibilities of a sequel, it just makes me really want, if, if I could dream up a sequel for this, I would have Steven Soderbergh's wife, who wrote the Logan Lucky script, write this script for this movie. Oh, hell yeah. Because... Do we know that it was her? I know we've got the whole, like, it's a mystery I mean, as to who I actually wrote that. But is it... It, w- it was Diablo Cody. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's barely confirmed. Um, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, sign a document saying that. But, like, <laughs> my understanding is that it was Steven Soderbergh's wife. And then you would have a female writer writing this movie, which is what I would love to happen... And you have someone who has proven to write compelling, funny heist films. Um, and so I, I, I would be really on board for that. Um, I really want us to have a chance to talk about things that we liked in the movie. Um, yes. We all talked about that amazing scene where they all leave with pieces of the necklace as different pieces of jewelry. I think that... The idea of that was so smart. The idea that, like, it's the Met Gala, mm-hmm. so of course everyone's wearing diamonds. And we're all walking out with little pieces of it is really cool. Um, was there anything else that y'all particularly loved? Well, and on what you were mentioning, Sandra, especially since you see Mindy Kaling working on the necklace and taking it apart. And maybe it was more obvious to other people watching, but I was just so confused about what yeah. she was doing. And so when it she suddenly comes me. out with... Yeah, when she suddenly comes out with, like... I guess it was it would have been eight distinct pieces of or sets of jewelry, yeah. and you realize like, oh, that's how they're going to sneak this thing out. I thought that was genius. Yeah, that's those are the fun part of the oceans movies right. where you're like, what is happening? Why is this happening? Oh, that's amazing. Like, and that yeah, that is exactly what I want. Um, I think one of the other things is this: all the trailers for this movie have like listed the cast and then said with Helena Bottom Carter, and so in my head, I thought she would have a much smaller role, but her role is 
very key. <laughs> yeah. And I think she does an awesome job yeah. at it. She is hilarious. Yeah. She is so, so... Uh, her facial expressions in this movie are incredible. She does a great job. And she's Irish, which just makes it even more funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which apparently like was just something she came up right. with because she wanted to do an Irish accent. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if there is a sequel how her particular skill set will be useful in future heists, you know? Um, I think everyone else is, like, very particularly (laughs) helpful, but, like, a fashion designer is a little bit more limited. Especially (laughs) one with that much fame. Yeah. Yeah, same thing goes for Anne Hathaway. Like, if you have a movie star on your team, that can be helpful in getting access to places, possibly, but it's also, like, (laughs) you can't be very... you're, You're not very conspicuous she's gonna get noticed yeah yeah that was okay i want to say this and i'm jumping to things that i love that was one other thing about the met gala that kind of put my head on tilt i was i loved seeing all the cameos there but i was like every one of these actresses are more famous than all of the people they got for the met gala cameos like i saw ira glass which i was like cool i'm glad he's in this movie but like Rihanna goes to the Met Gala, not Ira Glass. Like, it was just, it was... Um, I think having was, the Kardashians was a really cool touch. And just having was, them not have any yes. lines, just kind of walking in and out of this, the frame was, I thought, pretty cool. It was super mm-hmm. great. That was just one of the things I didn't like about Ocean's 12 was whenever they, like, oh, this actress looks like Julia Roberts. And I was like... Let me tell you. It's... it's I think ahead. that twist in Ocean's 12 is so fun and such a fun commentary on Hollywood and I would love if in a sequel they they did the exact same twist with Rihanna that nine ball <laughs> everyone's like you know we haven't really mentioned but nine ball looks a lot like Rihanna you know and then they yeah. pull the exact, that's a great idea exact same thing I would be <laughs> overjoyed Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was gonna say to praise the film. I thought Nineball's character was a great character throughout the whole time. I loved that she was there working on other jobs the whole time. That she had to call an ev- her even younger sister to figure out something that she couldn't figure out, but that she was just completely on top of everything. And that she, in the process of hacking another place, exposed the security of the place they were in. I just thought, in the past, it seemed kind of like. I'm a hacking into the mainframe type character, whereas Rihanna felt like a really convincing person who is actually able to do those things. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite part of this movie actually was the opening sequence where Sandra Bullock gets oh, out of jail it was and just so good. Pulls, just starts stealing from stores and steals a hotel room. And that opening sequence is why I love heist films. Seeing mm. thieves in their element just making their way throughout the world. Uh, And Sandra Bullock was so great at it. And um, I think it was a really, really perfect way to start the movie. Also, that feels very replicatable. Whenever they were doing that, I was like, can I stay in any hotel for free now? Like, that's... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how many people are trying that this weekend. Right, right. See, to me, the most replicatable thing would be to bring in items and then try to, you know, and then... Go to the store. That, that that was, I think, the best. Just pick up items in the store and return. Try them. to return and them very, and then like, just take them out of the store. Yeah, yeah, because even if the associate like is unsure, like the amount of confidence is just like, well, can I at least get a bag? Like yeah. that kind of thing. It's like I don't. I, I, you're just gonna go along with it. Like it doesn't matter. It's gonna. It's gonna work. Right. Hundred percent. And, of the and time. a big part of her pulling off all those heists is having the beauty and confidence of a rich woman, you mm-hmm. know? Like, yep. 
that that gets you so much leeway at those hotels or at those department stores. Um, right. The the clothes she was let out of prison with was this like fabulous gown. And she looks like Sandra right. Bullock, you know. So yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and I don't want to turn. I don't want to go too far down this road just because this. I do think like. This is a fairly kind of sugary movie, but I think there's, I mean, I think there's some kind of mild commentary on the way different people look and the ways that they can assert themselves in different environments and how some of the most sort of surprising or unbelievable twists in this movie are like, oh no, if you look like that person and you're behaving that way in that circumstance, like you're going to be able to get away with that. Um, Whether Mm -hmm. you are like... Sarah Paulson walking into an interview and feeling fairly confident that you can get the job or whether you're, um, you know, someone like Aquafina, whose job in the heist largely depends on her being unnoticed and in certain settings, like that's mm-hmm. going to be more likely. And so I don't feel like the movie is really trying to like point at that or draw any attention to it. But I do think there's if it if it does draw attention to like how are women unnoticed in certain spaces or. Um, if they are noticed, how can they use that being noticed to accomplish certain means? Um, I think there's something interesting happening there. Yeah, that's really yeah. well said. Yeah, I appreciate how they use that as a given. Like, it just, everything feels believable in those settings because they're acknowledging that those biases and people being seen or not seen exist. And yeah. that's not something you see used a lot. I just remembered one more small criticism I had, and that's, you know, and I, I know we're talking about positive things, but part of me thinking that this movie felt very sanitized was also the very ending, seeing all the women yes. and what they're doing with their money. Ugh, I wish yeah. that wasn't included. You don't want that. Because you don't want yeah. that in a heist right. movie. <laughs> I don't need happy endings for all these characters. I need them to complete the heist. And part of mm-hmm. like what's so fun about con artists is that they're not in it necessarily for the money. They're in it for the con, you know? And to see mm-hmm. all these women like starting companies and and starting small businesses and and you know like I'm like I don't they don't I don't need going on road yeah, trips yeah exactly like I'm not interested in that and it, it just adds like a, a too cutesy la- layer to this movie that I wish wasn't there um mm-hmm. so I love that in Ocean's 12 that's what they address like at the beginning of Ocean's 12 you get to see them how they use their money yeah. and then you see that that wasn't fulfilling and that it wasn't enough for right. them so yeah, yeah I want they all deserve like a badass walk off into the sunset into their nondescript future. Right. And it was kind of fun, but yeah, it, I agree. It felt off point. Especially because like Kate Blanchett's was like buy a motorcycle. And it's like, you don't, yeah, buy a motorcycle you don't need $38 and million dollars to buy a motorcycle. Like I'm sure <laughs> like, if she it's had like a really nice in New motorcycle. York, she could have afforded a motorcycle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And it's not like she's riding it anywhere particularly like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, She's not, she moved to France or right. something like that. Like she, she's still in California. What, what, if you're gonna do that, you need to have Kate Blanchett walking up to like a creepy garage, and she opens the door, and it's filled with motorcycles. Like it's she has like a J. She's like the Jay Leno right. of motorcycles. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Jay Leno of motorcycles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, y'all tell me if there's anything here as well. I do, I mean, I'm so I'm taken with the idea that, like, what they're stealing in this film is a necklace, which is, like, a fairly, like, straightforward symbol of femininity, or, tr- I mean, I should say traditional femininity, cultural femininity, certain things. And I, I wonder if, yeah, y'all help me tease this out. Is there anything happening with kind of the the relationship that the different characters have with it, where you've got... Anne Hathaway really fawning over it and just, like, so struck by how beautiful and how heavy it is. 
And then you've got someone like Mindy Kaling who works in the industry and just entirely sees that as like a product and something she is not hesitant at all to tear up. Um, and yet she's is there also anything like inter- wooed by the the ball itself. The craftsmanship. She, or, or like, oh, yeah, like sure. she wants, she was like, can we just go to this ball? Like that kind of feminine, mm-hmm. like glamour she's like wooed by, even if she's not wooed by the necklace, you know? Right. So yeah, is there anything happening there? Um, I think it's interesting that they, there's this kind of uh, aloofness in the first film, that in the male-led films that are just like, they're not interested in any of the things that are going on. Even whenever they're stealing from a casino and they're playing poker, they're like teaching dumb young Hollywood starlets about poker because they're like too good for all of it. I think it's interesting and kind of cool that the women stealing from this Met Gala also don't act like they're too cool for the Met Gala. They're like, this is fun. This is great. Like we're here to do a job, but like it's cool that we get to be around all these people. I appreciated that level of earnestness tied into it. Um, because that's a hard balance to strike when you're also trying to look really cool and removed. Yeah, there's almost a little bit of Bling Ring, which is like a criminally underrated film in that sort of like part of what is appealing is just, yeah, there's a lot of appeal to the Met Gala. Yeah. Is there any final thoughts we want to get out before we wrap this up? I'm going to see it again. I'm excited to. Yeah. I think I will appreciate more about it. That is something, the minute I walked out and like got past my squabbles, I was like, I bet if I see it again, I'll like it more. I think the opposite is going to happen. I feel like repeat viewings of this will, as you start to pay a lot more attention to the plot and to some of the holes and things, I think that will, I worry that repeat viewings will not go well, well for I'm, this film. I'm hoping I'll pick up on more like cookie crumbs that were left along the way that I didn't notice the first time that will make me appreciate it more. But if I, on the second viewing, it's just as straightforward, I think you're exactly right, Brent. It will be diminishing returns. Well, let us know if you yeah, do. Yeah, we'll do. Right. Um, Let's all say where you can find us online. Brent, where can people find you? You can find me on most social media platforms under the handle B-R-P-A-B-A, although not on Facebook anymore because I just read a book called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. I think that's the title. That's almost what I was feeling it. Or that's almost what I was feeling this week. So find me at B-R-P-A-B-A for who knows how much longer. (laughs) (laughs) You can... You can find me at Lawson West. Um, I'll be tweeting about 10 reasons to keep your social media and promote it as much as possible. No, uh, I'm on Instagram. Please do. Uh, no, no, no. I'm on Instagram and uh, Twitter, and I don't use Facebook, but I'm on there if you want to add a friend request. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, don't friend me on Facebook. Uh, I'm, <laughs> you can find me everywhere at Lucas and Stuff. Um, this week I'll probably be running... Uh, Subway social media account because they love us so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about it. <laughs> and you can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. And you can follow our podcast Twitter account at Feeling It Pod. Let us know uh, if you had any great insights about Ocean's 8 or commentary, things you loved, things you didn't. And we will look... And who you want in the next yeah, movie. Yeah, who you want in the next movie. Please tell us who you want. Um, if you could cast someone, who it would be. So that's us. That's it. Signing off. The end. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yeah. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 